0: Welcome to the Sons of Sam Horn podcast. We are back after a two-week hiatus. We apologize for that; it was unexpected. Uh, but we're back with our twenty-second episode. I'm uh, here alongside my digitally alongside my co-host Justin Gorman. Justin, how you doing? I am doing
1: great. How about yourself?
0: I'm doing well. I had a very busy morning running errands, and uh, I'm I'm the idiot who waited until this weekend to try and find uh, glasses for the Eclipse. Oh. And so I stopped everywhere. I'm, I am O for Roanoke on finding the glasses. Oh, you still didn't come up with any. So nah. I, my
1: work happened to hand them out this week, so we each got a pair. Um, they basically bought enough for, for the company to have so we could all watch it on Monday. Um, fun fact, I'm not so sure... I haven't had much luck finding cases of people actually going blind having looked at an eclipse. There are people that have stared at an eclipse for a while and have had eye damage, but none that have gone blind.
0: Well, yeah, the issue is not that you'll just completely lose all your sight. It's that you will damage your vision. And uh, it's it's more that if you look at it for a prolonged period of time, like if you glance up for two seconds and look away, it's not going to be any worse than looking at the sun straight away. It's not like the sunlight right. is enhanced by the fact yeah. that there's an eclipse. There's I think actually... that's something that people need to make clear. I mean, it's just that you, you're you inclined to
1: look at the sun for a while.
0: And that's bad and for that's you. And that's not good. You should not do that without some kind of protection. So, you know, yeah, you should be getting some sort of sunglasses or like welder shields with a certain and greater protection i would i would de- definitely look it up if you're listening to the podcast and had not considered looking at the eclipse before now uh please look up the uh the, the way to do so safely because i don't want to be responsible for anybody damaging their vision uh, yes. my, my work also has glasses but they said they had limited supplies and they're holding a little party outside of our picnic shelter so we can all go out and look at it i'm guessing we'll share glasses pass them around because it's not like it's a two second thing and if you blink you miss it uh, so I'll get to look at it. I'll bring um, I'll bring a decent camera to get some pictures and, and do some video. And that'll be fun. But uh, yeah, the
1: 2017 I'm... eclipse. If you blink, you miss it. If you don't, you go blind. <laughs>
0: exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. All right, let's uh, let's get into some baseball. Um, we, uh, we we were gone for a while, and there's been a lot of activity, and it's it's been mostly good for the Red Sox. Uh, we we did not get to do an episode last week, so we didn't get to talk about the only thing I really want to talk about is the oldest Chapman at bat, where Rafael Devers went deep to left center field, and uh, you know everybody's at least heard about this at this point. He hit a hundred and two point eight mile per hour fastball to left center field in Yankee Stadium, home run in any ballpark. And it's the fastest pitch ever taken deep. And it's it kind of puts to bed the myth that if you just make contact on a hard enough thrown ball, it's going to go a long way because nobody's ever hit one this hard out before. And it's it's hard to square that kind of a pitch up, uh, even when it's a flat fastball. 102.8 is 102.8. And the fact that Devers had the ability to square it up, to get, get the bat around with enough speed and, and enough power to take him yard at 20 years old is just absurd. And that's, you know, it follows. We
1: had been talking, and obviously, yeah, it's been a couple of weeks, but we had spoken before about how one thing that's been interesting to watch about Raphael Devers, at least through his development, is the fact that his walk rate and K rate and a lot of his numbers have stayed remarkably consistent across each level. And one of the prevailing thoughts about why the Red Sox felt comfortable bringing him up when they did was because he's confident. He feels confident in his abilities to go out there and hit whatever pitching is coming at him. There is no more concrete example of that than him taking a Aroldis Chapman's gas opposite field deep. It's it's really a testament to to his ability to just to to not be really afraid or overmatched by any pitcher.
0: Right. The the thing that impressed me most about that at bat was the adjustment he made before going deep. Like he got. He looked silly on strike two. I mean, it was so much so that if you haven't seen it, there is a video of a Yankees fan out in the bleachers who turned his camera on and was recording so he could get his his reaction to the game-ending strikeout that he thought was coming on on video so he could post it to YouTube, and instead it was the home run. It's spectacular from a Red Sox fan's perspective because you see him excited and amped up and Chapman's going to get the kid, and then the ball comes off the bat, and then it starts carrying and you watch his eyes tracking it and his face just dropping like his smile melts and turns into this just this look of disbelief and it's it's a, a spectacular video uh, if if you are a Red Sox fan watching or listening I, I highly recommend you go watch it if you're a Yankees fan listening then I, you should probably skip it i don't think you want to relive the the pain but um it's uh, man it was that was such a fun home run to watch and i've watched it a dozen times since and I mean, this, this this kid is special, but uh, we'll, we're going to get into him in some detail later in the episode. In the meantime, the the Red Sox and Yankees are playing again, and last night was just, it, again, if you're a Red Sox fan, you're going to want to listen, and if you're a Yankees fan, you should probably skip forward a little bit, because it's going to hurt. Uh, <laughs> the, the the Yankees went down early, the Red Sox had another home run from Rafael Devers, another opposite field uh, home run, and took him up 2-0 early, early, uh, early, and then they went up 3-0 in the Fifth. And then the Yankees came alive and it started looking like it was going to be a disappointing night for the Red Sox. They gave up six runs between the sixth and the seventh inning. Uh, Barnes gave up two and then between Kelly him, uh, Heath Hembry and Robbie Scott, they gave up four in the uh, the seventh inning. And look, this bullpen is still a problem. I'm still not feeling this bullpen for, for the playoffs, though. Addison Reed at least gives them what they need in the seventh and the eighth innings. And, and we'll dig into him a little bit uh, in some more detail. But Man, uh, Barnes, Kelly, Hembry, Scott, I just, I'm not confident in any of these guys, and I'm I'm glad that Brandon Workman is looking like a decent pitcher, yes. like, you know, you can at least get, you know, a good inning out of him here and there, and he's not great, but he's at least fairly steady, because if they didn't have him, uh, you know, the, the playoffs are tough to win in when your bullpen can only get you the last two innings. And, yeah. Yeah, That's I- oof
1: and luckily you have Chris sale going tonight. So hopefully you get a long start out of him and he's able to kind of save the bullpen a bit, uh, knock on wood, but yeah, I think Braden Workman is turning into your seventh inning guy. Um, Addison Reed, obviously last night was, was, and like, like you said, we're going to dig into him. He, he looked, he looked like an eighth inning guy last night. He looked like the guy that you, you intended to acquire at the trade deadline. Um, Scott, and Hembry are, are not ready for primetime. Barnes has flashes of being ready for primetime, but really overwhelmingly has has been a little bit disappointing this year. Um, his numbers aren't atrocious, but his ability to perform when he, need, he needs to be relied upon is atrocious. And obviously, we, we've talked about his home road splits in the past. He's just awful on the road, so he can't be relied upon. And Joe Kelly has the probably the straightest triple-digit fastball in baseball history. <laughs> the most hittable triple-digit fastball in baseball history comes off of Joe Kelly's hands. And he, <laughs> you know if he gets it right, sure, that's great. But again, you can't rely upon somebody who has no movement.
0: I mean, a straight fastball is workable when you have pinpoint command, and he doesn't have that. He doesn't have good command. He doesn't have terribly good control. And it, you know, when he's when he's not having a night where he can hit his spots, yeah, he's he's just not that good of a reliever, and he is what he is at this point. He's a hard throwing guy who's just, if he could harness his stuff and start hitting his spots, he'd be a great reliever or a great starter. But I just, I, at this point in his career, I don't think he's he's ever going to figure that out.
1: No, unfortunately, because I think everybody had high hopes for him. But yeah, I I, I don't see that, I don't see that really coming to fruition.
0: Well, they've got a, a game tonight. You mentioned Chris Sale is going. He's up against CeCe Sabathia, and uh, by the time people listen to this, that game will have played out. I'm hoping that, uh, you know, things will go the way that we expect. Sale will have a great night. Sabathia will be Sabathia, and uh, the Red Sox will get through for at least a few runs. We'll see how it goes. Uh, you know, it's baseball. Anything can happen, but uh, it, you know, looking at it from this end, it's something to be optimistic about. And then tomorrow, it's Sonny Gray up against Rick Porcello, and yeah you know that that one I think you gotta you gotta think the Yankees have a pretty good shot of of pulling a win out, but if the Red Sox can win tonight and come out of the series having gained another game uh, game on the Yankees putting them another game behind and and you know coming into this this stretch run five games up, you gotta feel pretty good about that we're gonna we're gonna look at the division in a little bit more detail later, but uh you know this is this is last night is the way you wanna start this the series well so I guess it's not the ideal way to start the series, but getting the win is the way you wanna start the series. Yes. And yeah, you know, I mean, it, they, they came back after going down, um, it was six to three at that point and, you know, Betts, Benatendi and Moreland came up big in the seventh, scored four runs. They tacked on two more in the eighth and you know, Chapman Chapman just, you know, we talked about him a little bit with the, the Devers home run. He just, he hasn't been able to, to take it to the Red Sox. And, you know, if I was a Yankees fan, I'd be a little worried. I mean, he's still a, a very good reliever, but I don't think he's ever going to be a lead again. And part of the reason is, if, if you look at his arm slot, it's his release point is, is moving out away from his body, and it's moving down a little bit, and it's been doing so for the last three years, that's probably an indication that his shoulder's wearing down, and that's just, that's natural, it's normal for a pitcher, it just happens. As you get older and you you throw more pitches, it becomes painful and, and more uncomfortable to throw from that higher slot, and so you bring it down to, to bring the, the pain level down so that you can keep throwing. So he's going to keep throwing hard, but... The, the life on the, on the fastball is going to be different. The movement on his on his off-speed pitches is going to be different because the arm slot's different, and it's, it's not necessarily going to be as effective, and that's kind of what we're seeing right now. He's got a, a 12.1% yeah. swinging strike rate, which is the lowest of his career. Puts him in the same range as Ross Stripling, Kelvin uh, Herrera, and, and Joe Smith... And he's come down the last three years. He was at 22.2% in 2014, then uh, 19.3% in 2015, 18.6% last year. And it dropped significantly last uh, from last year to this year. And I think that has to do with how overworked he was in, in the playoffs.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's he, he's got a lot of indications that he is he, he's declining. It's worth mentioning, and I didn't realize this until I just looked, Chapman Chapman's 29 years old, so he's not that young in baseball terms, his K per nine has gone down considerably since 2014. It went from 17.6 all the way down to this year, 12.6. So he's averaging five fewer strikeouts per nine innings. He is, he, he does have a little bit of unluckiness. He's allowing a th- uh, three, three, 49 BABIP right now but his ERA is 4.29 his XFIP 3.47 that is far higher than you would want to see out of a closer and, and an elite closer for sure is not going to be generating a 3.47 XFIP so there are a lot of indications that a this Chapman yeah, obviously he's still throwing 103 miles an hour that's still relatively effective but just as we talked about with Joe Kelly if he's losing the, the, you know, the pizzazz on his fastball. He's not going to be nearly as effective. And it's, I would, I would be very concerned if I was a Yankees fan.
0: I mean, to some extent, Yankees fans are always going to be uh, underrating their, their closers because everybody's going to be compared (laughs) to Mario Navarro and and that's not fair. It's like in Boston, everybody (laughs) will, every DH, whoever plays for the Red Sox going forward will always be compared to David Ortiz and it will never be fair. Well, right. I mean, Michael... and, and
1: in fairness to Red Sox fans, every starter or every elite starter will be compared to, to Pedro, Pedro Martinez, yeah. which obviously didn't work out. You know the way
0: David Price would have liked, but Chris Sale's not doing so bad
1: in that no, comparison to no, no, right now. No, he's not.
0: He's as close <laughs> as I think we're ever going to see. But yes, uh, and I mean, look, Michael Chavis could end up, you know, being exactly what he was in—was um, it high earlier this year—and then he came up to Portland. Uh, but he could be exactly what he's been in the minors this year, and he's still going to be considered a disappointment compared to, to Poppy because that's how good Poppy was. So right. I mean, it's the same things going on in New York. So I mean, New York fans are, are going to be disappointed in Chapman, no matter how good he is going forward because he's never going to be as good as Mo. And I, you know, but he's, he's still a really good reliever. It's not like we're, I'm not trying to say he's washed up. He's not, he's got a long way to go before he's washed up, but he's, you know, he's, he's definitely taken a step back from his, his stint in New York last year, even from what he did with the Cubs last year. And, you know, I don't think he's going to be, I don't think he's ever going to get back to where he was in 2014 again. And that's, that's fine. But you know, um, so the, the Red Sox took advantage last night and that was a lot of fun to see.
1: Yes, absolutely.
0: Um, one thing that
1: bears mentioning for fantasy baseball owners um, who are looking at this as Chapman situation and have David Robin- Robertson on your roster, that could end up being a very savvy move on Cashman's part going into the postseason. If Chapman is wearing down a bit, um, they still have a very bona fide closer in their bullpen in, in, in David Robertson, who they acquired, obviously, in the Todd Frazier deal. Um, and fantasy owners should be pretty excited. He might be able to uh to get you some saves in the last few weeks of, of the regular season into the playoffs.
0: I'm still a little miffed that the Red Sox couldn't bring bring Robertson and I was hoping they'd be able to snag him, but um yeah, it's that's it, it, a very good point. Robertson very well may end up the closer, especially if Chapman and um I, I think uh did he just have a, a brief D L stint, Chapman? I don't know. Um, either way, I mean, it wouldn't surprise me. Fans up on the DL, and Robertson slides in temporarily, or it's possible that Chapman will just get demoted if he keeps giving up bombs to twenty year olds. <laughs> very possible, yes. <laughs> uh, speaking of relievers, we did want to talk about Addison Reed uh, so far with the Red Sox, and if you're just looking at his his line with the Sox, it's ugly. He's got a six point four three ERA, a six point two eight FIP. But it's really just the, the, the appearance on August 11th. If you pull that out, it was four earned runs. He didn't record an out. Otherwise, with the Red Sox, he's given up one earned run in seven innings pitched. And that's basically what they were hoping to get, is a guy who's going to come in, have an effective two-thirds of an inning, uh, an effective full inning, whatever. If the August 11th appearance is a blip in the radar, then i think that they're they're in pretty good shape for the playoffs assuming that workman can continue doing what he's doing it doesn't look like carson smith is likely to step back into the bullpen and be an effective late inning reliever this year he's having trouble getting the velocity back up which is not shocking it takes a while you look at workman who came back from the same same surgery and it took him quite a long time to get back up to that typical velocity so well even uh, even in workman's case he
1: exceeded his typical velocity he's throwing harder than he has in his career so hopefully Giving Carson Kelly a little bit more time, considering how hard he threw before, that might be a really good thing. He might be able to to develop the velocity, get the velocity back, and actually exceed where he was before. It become perhaps a better reliever than we expected.
0: Right. I just wouldn't expect that to happen anytime this year. We're probably looking no. At next oh year no, no, no 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 yeah. no. That's
1: why I'm. I'm yeah. just saying patience might be a virtue mm-hmm. with him.
0: Right. Um. So you know uh, the, the the bullpen's in decent shape. Uh, it'd be nice if the one other guy could step up and start being consistent but you know if they just have those three guys I think it's enough especially if Kimbrell's gonna continue being as dominant as he's been uh we'll we'll have to we'll have to wait and see though that brings us to to raphael devers and you know on the outline it's just devers with an exclamation point and I didn't throw anything into the outline because I don't think we really need to dig into the um, the details on the outline we're both ready to get ready to roll with this um yeah. he's Holy, um, I you know, I talked about him a bit on Sports and Sorts on Thursday night. We recorded and released it yesterday. And I don't want to, you know, I didn't want to dig in too deeply there because I knew we were going to really go nuts with it here. And I just, I am just floored. I mean, I, I was high on him, but I, there's no way nobody, I would have predicted no. what he's doing right now. Nobody, nobody could have, a
1: 342 ISO? Nobody could have predicted this. You were you were in the stratosphere on this guy, and you would have never said, "Oh, he's going to come up in August, and he's going to put up a 342 ISO, and he's going to hit a roll this Chapman out to left field on a 103 mile an hour fastball." You're not saying that. That's he's, not a prediction that you're ready to make. 88
0: percent better than league average at yeah. 20 years old. I mean, look, he's got all the tools you want to see in a young hitter who you want to be, you know, the, uh, your, your your middle of the order kind of presence. He's got. He's always had plus raw power. The question was, is he going to get to it consistently in games? And this year, he is. He's answering that emphatically. Yes, he's been crushing yeah. the ball all year. So he's getting to the power. He's got this beautiful, beautiful left-handed swing. And and you know, uh, Shane, my co-host on, on Sports and Sorts, actually brought up the Ted Williams uh, Science of, of of Hitting book and talked about how he's got that that swing that Ted Williams preached that slight uppercut swing. That maximizes your your bat's time in the, the zone where it's going to square up with the same angle that the ball's going to have coming into the zone. And he's got that. It's perfect. He's got great bat speed. He's got an incredible ability to barrel the ball. And maybe not quite as incredible as Benintendi's ability to do so you're not going to see him swinging at balls that are really low or out of the zone and barreling them up the way that, that Benintendi is. I mean, Benintendi has the ability to be a bad ball hitter if he wants to, but he's, he's disciplined, so he doesn't chase too often. I, but Devers, when the ball is in the zone, it has a great ability to square it up and, and, and get that, that nice sweet spot on the bat onto the ball. So you combine that with the raw power, and the fact that he can, he can generate that backspin easily and naturally and that backspin is why he's had so many home runs that they come off the bat, and you're not sure that it's it's hit all that deep, and then it just hangs up there. And this is helping him with the opposite field home runs. The ball just doesn't come down. It gets it comes yeah. off the bat and it just hangs up in the air, and then it's like is is it you know is it going to be an you know caught in left field ten feet in, in on the on the fence? No, it just ends up you know eight eight rows back. It ends up at the back of the uh, you know hits the stanchion, hits the light stanchion, it does whatever the ball doesn't come down. So you mix these things, you you combine these things. And what you have is the makings of a truly great hitter. And you know, yeah, he's 20 years old. He's going to struggle. This is not, you know, he's not, and he's not going to be Miguel Cabrera right now. And there are indications that, that even his numbers right now will regress a little
1: bit. He's got a 396 BABIP right now. His slash line is 356, 426, 99. So if you accommodate, if you say, okay, well, his BABIP has to go down. Even if it goes down, He's still hitting three fifty six four 99 So even a regression <laughs> is going to be regressing down to all star levels.
0: I mean, it's just it's preposterous. He's, uh, I, I I don't know how to to adequately explain just how impressive what he's doing is. And oh. I mean, it's and it, he and he was the front end of a tr- of a conventional triple, triple play. play. I know. <laughs> I mean, it wasn't a terribly difficult triple play, but it was a
1: triple play. It was still, it's, you don't see those very often, even the conventional variety of a five four three triple play.
0: So, uh, you know, there was a Dave Cameron chat from Fangraphs where he talked about Devers in a couple of questions. And, you know, one of them uh, was somebody ad- asking about Ahmed Rosario for, uh, you know, can he be a similar player to Lindor? And one of the things he talked about is he's very toolsy. He's got all the tools to be a very good player. And he, he finishes up with good News is he's 21, has lots of time to improve, but I don't think he's anywhere near guys like Devers, who are ready to be very good Major League players right away. Uh, you know, talk about uh, Rosario being a project with upside, whereas Devers is kind of already at a point where he's got a solid floor. Um, the the most impressive thing that he said, though, uh, well, actually two things. Uh, he, he, he was asked, better hitter in the next five years, Betts or Devers? And he picked Devers.
1: Well yeah, and I think part of the reason Dave Cameron is is so high on Devers um is a previous article that he wrote that said so far Devers has put twenty five balls in play and he's pulled exactly five of them. Yeah. Twenty of the twenty five balls he put in play, and this is obviously this is a couple weeks ago, have gone to center or left field despite the fact that he's a left handed hitter. So he's He's just spraying the ball to all fields.
0: Well, the reason for that was that pitchers were were taking, you know, they were hitting him outside of the plate. I mean, he's a 20 year old kid. And for the most part, 20 year old kids coming up and seeing fastball, majorly fastballs on the other side of the plate, they're going to pop it up, they're going to roll it over. But Devers can go the other way with authority, and he did. So early on, yeah, he was going opposite field a lot.
1: And that's one of the interesting things about Devers. You combine, you know, obviously the, the very much, the, the very good raw power, as you mentioned, and the very good hit tool, as you mentioned. And you combine that with the fact that he doesn't seem to, and obviously we're still talking in small sample sizes here. Of course. But he does not seem to have a weak spot. In, not yet. Right. Right. But if you recall, when, when Bogarts first came up, he was extremely vulnerable to the slider low and away. He still and is. so he still is right he but that th- people would press that and devers doesn't
0: seem to have any holes in his swing it's been kind of fascinating watching him get pitched to because you can see that pitchers are are experimenting they're they're trying different things and they started away and then they came in and they went down and they went up and it, they're trying to find that combination of location and pitch type that he has trouble with and at some point somebody's going to figure something out and then pitchers are just going to abuse him with it until he until he makes an adjustment uh, all indications are he's going to make an adjustment because he's you know, he's an incredibly well-prepared uh, and and hard-working hitter and and defender i mean he works hard on defense as well and he's just, that's one of the things I love about him so much is that he's worked so hard to stay at third base when everybody assumed he'd be at first before he got out of the ma- uh, the minors. Uh, so he's got a great work ethic and uh, it's, it shows in everything he does. He puts a lot of time in, in the cages. He's, he watches a lot of tape. I mean, this is, this is what you want. I mean, he's, <laughs> he stands in the box. He looks like David Ortiz. I mean, it's, yeah. it, it's, he's that confident. He's that prepared. He's that unflustered. He makes adjustments that quickly. Um and I'm not saying he's David Ortiz yet. He's not. He's got he's got some work to do before he's there consistently, but you know it's yeah. I, I watch him and I'm just like, you know what? You know, we we worry about where are we going to get the David Ortiz replacement? I think he's he's here and, and his name is Rafael Devers.
1: Yeah, and and you know to to allude to a point I made earlier, it's it's just incredible to see the confidence. He he's he's not being overmatched by major league pitching. And Benintendi came up, Betts came up and both of them Obviously, we're, we're we're very very good hitters right out of the gate. Devers is different, and he's different in such a positive way because he's just there is no overmatching with this kid yet.
0: And you're not going to beat him with extreme heat. Obviously, no. Chap, Chapman showed that he you know he can take extreme heat the other way and go and go out of the park. So you're not going to beat him that way. And he he's, already has he already has the ability to capitalize on mistakes better than
1: most young kids,
0: right. So um, it, I didn't even get to the money shot quote from um, from Dave Cameron in that chat. Uh, somebody named Lee asked the question, I think the most exciting thing the first few weeks of Devers' career is five of his six home runs have gone opposite field. What do you think his peak looks like? And Cameron's response was, and I'm going to read this, this word for word, the fact that he has this kind of power while almost never pulling the ball is really quite amazing. I wouldn't be surprised if he ended up as a Freddie Freeman type. It might take him some adjustment period to learn to hit for elite home run power. And then in parentheses, he has a few of his home runs so far up in Boston specials. And then he continues with, but once he elevates more, he could be the best hitter in the game.
1: That's, that's awfully nice.
0: That's, I mean, (laughs) there's nothing else to say at this point. I mean, that's, that's his ceiling. His ceiling is Miguel Cabrera in his, in his prime. Yep. And I mean, it's not saying he's definitely going to get there, but at this point, it's like you know he he comes up short of that. And he's still all star all star caliber. I mean, it's... <laughs> yeah, he
1: really is. We're talking we're talking that his ceiling is is perennial MVP caliber. Right. So, we're yeah.
0: talking you know he's got the talent to be an to be a Hall of Fame player by the end of his career. And of course, there's such a long way to go. Nobody's predicting that he could get hurt. He could come up much shorter than, than than we're expecting and end up as, you know, a guy who gets to a bunch of all-star games but comes up short of an MVP career. But I'd be very surprised at this point if he doesn't end up being an impact player.
1: Oh, I think he, yeah, he's already an impact player. He's already making an impact. So if, you know, just based on the definition of impact, I think he's there.
0: <laughs> All right, I guess we can agree <laughs> with that so uh yeah so're we're, we're as high endeavors as as we've been um he's actually one of our prospect check-in guys later so we're gonna have to pick somebody and we didn't prep it so that could be an interesting discussion yeah. um, but uh, let's let's move on and take a look at where the division sits right now and, and the Reds, and how the Red Sox have been playing and, and what we can maybe expect going forward. Uh, you know they've won thirteen of the last fifteen games, so they're they're super hot right now. You're never as hot as you're never as good as your hot streaks. You're never as bad as your cold streaks. But uh, you know, they've put themselves in an excellent position at this point in the season, and I think they've shown that they are they're probably the favorites for winning the division uh, you know, the rest of the way. The Yankees have shown their warts, and while they're still a good team, and I think they're probably still going to snag a wild card spot, I think the division is is the Red Sox to lose. I
1: agree, and I think you know if if they win tonight that's going to put them in a very in a very commanding position atop the AL East. Currently um the only team that is not well above 500 at home in the AL East is is Tampa Bay. The Red Sox are are 39-21 at home, but they're the only team that's above 500 away. Um, and I think that that's one of the things that they've, it, notwithstanding Matt Barnes, by the way, <laughs> they, they are somehow thirty-one and thirty away. Um, but every other team in, in the AL East is is significantly is below five hundred. The Yankees are the best of that lot at thirty and thirty-four. The rest of the teams are are, are several games below. So the Red Sox have been playing well, both at home and away. If they pull this game out tonight, and I think you know, there's there's a pretty good shot that they do with Chris Sale on the on the hill. If they miraculously were to pull out tomorrow's game, they win the division. I think. Yeah, I
0: think I think if they finish a sweep in this series, the Yankees' hopes of the division are basically shot. But I, I you know, that that's I'm not expecting the sweep at this point, and I think there's a good chance they're going to win the series and 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 have the division in hand and just need to to hang on to it going forward. And I mean, look, this is this is a team that is resilient. You know, we talked about the, you know, the 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 comeback last night. They're eleven and three in extra inning games. You know, they're seventeen and thirteen in one run games. So they they win those more often than not. This this is a, this is a good team that doesn't give up. That can win late. You know, they score a lot late. Uh, you know, th- this is everything you want in a team that you want to see go to the playoffs and do well there. And this is this is a different offense than last year. Even though that they've lost Poppy, I, I have more confidence in this offense to score in the playoffs. And part of it is that they're now hitting home runs. Like Moreland's starting to hit the ball with authority again, and Devers has has plugged that hole at third base with a guy who can take you yard at any point. And that makes me feel a lot better about this offense.
1: Yeah, I mean they they've got nine walk off wins. They've got what, what was that? What did I say earlier? Thirty one comeback wins. They they're just they've they've gotten over their um their their cold spell and we'll talk about that in a minute um to to emerge as you, you, you can't get more excited than when your team is sizzling hot in august that is such a good sign because they're, they're peaking at the right time they're playing really really well they're coming together and they're really putting together an extended home stretch for the playoffs
0: so, speaking of the home stretch, they have a... It's a fairly brutal finish to the season given the the quality of the AL East. Yeah, they've got the, the rest of the series with New York. Um, They're looking at 41 games and only 10 of them are against non-division rivals and only three of those are against non-playoff teams. Um, you, you got the Oakland Athletics uh, the September 12th, 13th, and 14th. Otherwise, it's all division division teams and they're also playing cleveland for four and houston for four to finish the year so this is not going to be an easy stretch i'm sorry they also have cincinnati for three but 10 games against non-division teams and the rest of them are against you know uh, it's they've got another four game stretch set against the yankees a little ways down uh, and the rest of the season is basically going to be Baltimore and Toronto and Tampa Bay. And none of those teams are bad and they're all, you know, in a, in the playoff hunt for the most part, they're all within reach of a wild card spot. So they're not going to get anybody rolling over. Uh, it's it's, they're going to have to go out and win it. They're going to have to go out and take, take the division, even though they're up at this point. Yeah.
1: But I think they're putting themselves in the position, you know, obviously they're, they're, they're building up their savings account right now and that's what they need to do. They need to be able to accommodate for, the, those series that you're talking about Cleveland's a little bit off aw- they, They've been playing good but not great baseball And then there's the Houston Astros Who are just head and shoulders above everybody else right now Though they're 4-6 and six in their last 10 They have not been playing as well as, as they have They kind of, I think, built their savings account A little while ago So I think Boston's putting themselves in the right position right now But yeah, they, there are some Concerns over the rest of the season
0: And I mean the Yankees don't have An easy easy stretch they've got 13 games against non-division opponents of those they're playing Detroit who are are not a good team anymore. They're playing Seattle who's who's in it and, and is, is obviously going to be a, a tough matchup. They're playing Cleveland for three. So that's, that's going to be a tough series. They've got Texas who is, you know, probably uh, given up for the year for the most part uh, and Minnesota who's, you know, they're, they're not out of it and they're probably going to be scratching and clawing to try and get into the playoffs at that point. So, you know, they're not looking at an easy schedule while the Red Sox have a brutal schedule. Uh, but the Red Sox do have a gauntlet in front of them.
1: If the season ended today, Minnesota would have a wild card. Yeah. As a matter of fact. And Kansas City's only a, only a half game back. So Minnesota and Kansas City are obviously battling it out. Um, mm-hmm. Seattle's right there, just as you said. I, I personally can't believe the LA Angels are, if the, if the season ended today, the Angels <laughs> would have a wild card. Like that to me is, is, is probably the most mind-blowing thing. But, yeah, I mean, you look, Toronto's three games back in the wild card. There are one, two, three, four, five, six teams right there. And then it it falls off precipitously with the Detroit Tigers eight and a half games back. So, yeah, they've given up. Texas has more or less given up, but they're only a game and a half back, too. So they could theoretically pull it out. And they still have Adrian Beltre, who you got to love Adrian Beltre. Uh,
0: Well, yeah, you can never count him out. I mean, he's (laughs) I really I I really wish we had more than one year of him in Boston. I know he was so much fun. But yeah, let's uh, let's move forward. We uh, we have a question from one of our uh, for one of our listeners, Lee from Philadelphia. He sent us an email. Uh, I'm going to read the email, and then we can we can dig in and and see if we can give him an answer that is uh, satisfactory. But uh, the question was during the David Price Dennis Eckersley controversy, I read a lot of comments that said uh, essentially that this team didn't excite them. It wasn't likable. Maybe they missed Poppy. Maybe it was something else. But the 2017 at that point in time didn't seem to generate the, the same excitement as the 2004, or 3, 2004, 2013, or 16 teams. That got me thinking about what makes a team likable. I love the 2017 team and have all year, Sale, the Killer Bees, Kimbrel having uh, been electrifying. You want teams that are like uh, unlikable. How about the early 60s in the days of uh, Lou Clinton, Arnie Early, uh, Hal Kulstad, uh, Ike Delek or the 90s I- teams. Ike Delock, which, which by the way, what a name. Iked a lot. Sorry, <laughs> continue. Uh, or the '90s teams, where Dan Duquette seemed to want to establish the all-time record for the most players used. Uh, to me, there was something about the 2005 team that turned me off. Uh, he he uh, didn't like Millar's, what he call, call calls whining, uh, but he asked the uh, you know, or the Bobby V team. But uh, so he's asking about why this team might have been unlikable at least for a while this season, uh, and you know obviously the the first, second, and third answers for me are Pablo Sandoval. Yes. I mean, he just, while he was still associated with the team, he was an anchor. I mean, he he held back everything because even when he was rehabbing and not on the field, you had this this dread that at some point he's coming back and you're going to have to suffer through more innings where where he's out there flopping around trying to play defense or flailing at the, the plate and not succeeding. And I mean, it was just, it was ominous. And, and it wasn't fun thinking about how, you know, the, the third base situation was bad and the guy who's supposed to come back and make it better wasn't going to. Uh, so you know it, that that certainly had a lot to do with it for me, and the team wasn't winning consistently at that point. You know, it they they had been behind the Yankees early in the year, and then they had gotten ahead and couldn't pull away, and they eventually fell behind the Yankees again for a little bit. So you know, yeah. when a team's not winning, it's not hard to kind of sour on them a bit and to uh, to kind of trump up the uh, the, the the deficiencies and, and and the issues. That was a
1: particularly that that period of time right after the all-star break while when, when when Pablo Sandoval was basically in his like in his rehab assignment um, that was a it was a perfect storm so the Sox were going through a really really rough stretch at that time and it was the exact time where any story that was negative was was going to expose all the vulnerabilities of this team and nobody knows how to exploit that better than dan shaughnessy and so the price price and Eck dust up was in it was a bottom heavy apple tree that dropped all of its low-hanging fruit at the same time and so the team was the team was playing terribly on all cylinders and dan shaughnessy wrote this article which all fans of the Red Sox were, were ready to seize on. They were ready for something to distract them from the the team playing poorly. And this was, this was the perfect storm for that. So his conversation, his story, he got that conversation rolling, it, rolling right down the hill and, and kind of a snowball effect. And by the time we knew it, it was huge. And then the team has been playing well since. So it's been a lot more likable, but I I couldn't agree more. During that time, it wasn't a very likable team, but it was a perfect storm. I think it was just a matter of of, of bad luck and, and circumstance.
0: Yeah, and I mean, part of the team playing poorly was the lack of home run power at that point. And I mean, home runs are exciting, so I, I can understand feeling like the team is is not terribly exciting when they're not going yard. Um, the team was dynamic it was you know it was hitting doubles it was i mean for a while the slugging dropped off to some frightening levels so they weren't even hitting the doubles but you know they they're on the base as well there's other ways for them to score they're doing that pretty well now on top of now also getting some home run power from some additional sources so but you know with the lack of home runs you can kind of feel like the home run uh, the, you can kind of feel like, feel like the offense is listless and that it's it, it's not capable of sustaining runs and that can be a little depressing and part of that is, of course, related to the loss of David Ortiz, who is, you know, both from a production standpoint, uh, you know, the power, the personality, you know, all of that was, was sorely missed early in the year. And it's, you're never going to replace a guy like no. that. It's so, so
1: hard. It's, it's so hard to, a team icon, a, a fan, he's beyond a fan favorite. So he left a hole that obviously, I mean, his offensive production just right up until the, the last moment last year was off the charts and that you can only replace to a certain extent. You're never going to be able to replace the the memories of David Ortiz and yeah, his, his fan favorite status. He just, it was, I don't, I think we all underestimated just how big of a hole he was going to leave in this roster when he left.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, I, I think those things combine to kind of answer the question though, for me, I think part of it is that some fans just look for things to be upset about some fans, especially yeah. in Red Sox nation. There's, there's a portion of the fan base that enjoys the misery. Uh, it was, it was such a big well, part of the identity for so long.
1: I think, I think, yeah, there's a combination of that. And also, I mean, Dan Shaughnessy is, he's by all accounts, a, a very, very good journalist. And And he's
0: very good at at riling up the fan base like this. But yeah, that's that's, what he does. It's his breadbasket. And
1: And when it comes to misery loving company, there is no more perfect union than the Red Sox fans who want to stay miserable and Dan (laughs) Shaughnessy who is ready to make them
0: miserable. Yeah. So, but I mean, if you can't find, even when they were struggling, if you can't find joy in the trio of outfielders that we have and the fun that they have on the field, I mean, the, the dancing is so, it's, it's so much fun. It's such a cool thing. And I know they're, you know, they're at the point where they're just kind of repeating the same things over and over again, but they're having a blast with it. How can that not be fun for you? How can you not have fun watching Chris Sale? Doing what he's doing this year, or Craig Kimbrell being as dominant as he's been I mean, there are there are things about this team even when they were struggling that are are worth taking joy in and if you can't find fun in that then i you know I don't know if it's it's possible for you to ever really truly enjoy this sport or this team. I guess that's the end of that segment.
1: Yeah, I don't. I didn't have anything to add. I thought that was a really good time to <laughs> to end it <laughs> to move on. Well, there, right. there's also there's that's like a... an old man walking down the street right now, and he's walking so unbelievably slowly, and so he's like just ambling down the street. And I looked over, and you, were, um, it was like a perfect ending to that. And I looked over, and I'm like, that guy makes me think I shouldn't say anything.
0: All right, I'm going to leave this in. <laughs> I'm not editing this out. This is okay. this is going in the episode. I think that's a, that's a perfect visual for. For how that that, that segment yeah. just kind of petered out at the end it there, It so <laughs> thanks <laughs> for the question, Lee. Though <laughs> yes, thank you for the question. Uh, we, we we do look forward to getting more questions going forward. So uh, feel free to send us an email at soccast at gmail.com. We will read your question on the air and we will respond to it to the best of our ability. Let's uh, let's look at our prospect check in, and you know the we've got to replace Devers, but let's start with Groom. Do you want to do you want to take a look at Groom, and I'll uh, I'll pull some names in for our Devers replacement. Yeah, so Jake Groom has
1: a bit more of a um, of a sample size now uh, since the last time we checked in, which was probably at this point three or four weeks ago. Um, he obviously, I think we we talked about it last time. At at the time, he had just been called up to High A, and now he's got forty one and a third innings under his belt, ten starts. Um, he, he's still striking out a lot of players. He's got about twelve strike strikeouts per nine. He's getting unlucky. He's he's allowed a three seventy six BABIP, and that. Actually, his 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 unluckiness has has panned out to his his numbers too. He's got a six point five three ERA, but a four point three seven FIP and a three point oh nine XFIP. So he's clearly he's pitching better than his ERA indicates. So that gives me hope that he's still you know. Just kind of sorting things out, but still, still getting a hang of things. But he's also getting unlucky at the same time. So I don't think when, when you first look at his numbers and you see a 6.53 ERA in high A, it, it, it sounds the alarm bells. But when when you look at he's he's only allowing 1.3 home runs per nine. That's that's not great, but it's not terrible. And he's allowing three. He's allowing a lot of a lot of hits on balls in play. The 376 BABIP is is abnormal. So I think there, there's a lot of reason to, to still be hopeful and still look forward to to his, his numbers improving. They look like they probably should.
0: All right well let's uh, let's kick around some names for possible replacements. you know one, one of the guys I think we can consider is Bobby Delbeck who's back and playing and um, you know he's, he's not looking too awful. He's got his WRC plus back up to 100. Uh, And, you know, he's still, you know, he's still got some decent power, but um, it's the strikeout rate is really fascinating because it's at 38.3% and he's, he's hit a, he's hit a few more home runs since coming back. So the home run power seems to be uh, something he can tap into every once in a while. It's probably not going to be consistent for a while, but uh, it's still there. He can hit the ball a long way, but yeah, that strikeout rate came up after, after getting back from the injury. So that, that's, that is just, wow.
1: Yeah. That's not great.
0: Um, so that's one guy we can consider. Uh, maybe we can look at someone like uh, Jake Thompson, who has uh, has begun his pro career. And uh, he's started off, he's got a, you know, he's not started off great, but he's got a, a 1 point, or I'm sorry, he's got a 4.5 ERA with a 1.5 whip. Um, and, and he's probably going to take some time to settle in. He's pitching for for Lowell right now. We could also maybe consider looking at Brett Netzer, who's also not off to a great start. So again, may, maybe not the right guy to to fill in. But um, you know, he's he's begun his career. Uh, where did he go? There he is. Uh, he's got a 196 average, 268 on base percentage, and a 255 uh, slugging playing for Greenville. Uh, but I think my my vote is probably going to be. Let's keep an eye on Zach Schellinger, who is the the reliever they picked up out of. I think it was Seton Hall. Uh, he's pitching in the GCL, and he's a college guy pitching in the G- GCL, but he's he's a reliever from the start. He's, they're not going to try him as a starter. And he just got started. He's got one inning pitch with two strikeouts so far and a zero ERA, uh, ERA and a zero whip. So this will be an interesting guy because he could fly through the system and maybe make the bullpen next year sometime. If he continues to succeed, so I, this is who I think I'm going to throw in there because they, I, they I should be getting on that. regular work. Yeah, yeah, so, okay.
1: I, I agree with you. I was I was actually waiting for you to bring his name up um, because I thought he might be the one that you'd see sooner than the other three. And then with <laughs> to your point with Dahlbeck's K rate, I'm not sure that we <laughs> we we, we I, might want to give him a little
0: time. I kind of want to keep an eye on the K rate alone, but uh, we can do that outside of the prospect yeah. check in. Um, so yeah, so that'll be, uh, that'll be Debra's replacement who, uh, you know, for, for the best possible reasons will no longer be part of the prospect check-in, uh, and, for all of
1: the right reasons. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> yeah. For 188 WRC plus reasons.
0: So we're we're at the end of the outline. We're at the end of the episode. We're at about uh, forty five minutes or so. Uh, I mean, I I could just sit here and talk about Devers for another hour if you like. I mean, we'll just <laughs> you know, we'll just hang out and just gush for a bit because I think we've
1: we've <laughs> done it. we've done as much as we can. I I do know that um actually while while we're here um the MLB at DAT notification just came up um tonight's lineup I can I can announce tonight's lineup. So oh there we go. Got, Nunez, uh, Nunez getting the start at second base. Betts in right. Benintendi in left. Ramirez at first. Young DHing. Bogarts at short. Devers at third. Leon behind the plate, and JBJ in center with Sale pitching. So that's a one through nine of Nunez, Betts, Benintendi, Ramirez, Young, Bogarts, Devers, Leon, and Bradley.
0: Bogarts uh, has actually looked a little better at the plate lately. He's starting to drive the ball again, which is a really good sign. Uh, so, um, it's nice to see that uh, they're, they they kind of moved, uh, moved him up ahead of Devers, because Devers was ahead of him for a little bit for a few games. Yep. So, uh, yeah, that's – I mean, that's suddenly looking like a very deep lineup, and – oh, <laughs> man, I did not expect to be saying that in August back in, like, you know, mid-June.
1: No, 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 but – yeah, no. With with Devers batting seventh, with what he's doing, that's, that's oh, man, that, great. Is a, that is it. That is so just good. That's Great.
0: That is so good. And I'm am, I'm am, I know I just accidentally referenced uh, Sweet Caroline. I did not mean to do that. <laughs> God, I hate that song. Um, anyway, uh, that's that's the end of the episode. Uh, you can find the show on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, any podcast app that you may use. You should be able to find us. You can find me on Twitter, uh, Damian Dyden at ddyden d d y d y n. And you can
1: find me at J1Gorman, that's J, the number one, G-O-R-M-A-N.
0: You can find Soch Baseball at Soch Baseball S-O-S-H, Baseball. And you can find the show's Facebook page on Facebook.com forward slash SochCast. You can also, as we mentioned a little while ago, email us anytime at SochCast at gmail.com. Thank you for listening. We are glad to be back with you after our hiatus. We will be back next week with another episode, and we hope you have a great week.